continuous improvement comes in lots of different flavors and styles. I'm Bella Engelbach, and I'm inviting you to journey with me to the edges of lean. Episode 91, Continuous Improvement and Scalability with Brad Eisenberg. Brad Eisenberg at Be Lean is a scalability consultant with more than 15 years of experience as a founder, COO, and consultant. He works with growing businesses that are at the point where everything that used to be fun and simple has become messy and complex. Brad is here at the edges of Lean to help us understand what scalability is and the relationship between scalability, lean, and the ability to see things as they really are. Brad Eisenberg, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thanks so much. Hey, it's great to have you here today. Brad, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Be glad to. So my name is Brad Eisenberg. I'm the owner of Be Lean, and I'm a scalability consultant, and I work with um, owners and CEOs of services-based businesses that are at the point in their growth where all the things that used to feel fun and simple are now messy and complex. And I work with my clients to do three things, really. I help them uh, allow their businesses to run more smoothly and efficiently. Um, I help them get more visibility and control over what's going on in their business. And I give them the strategy and the roadmap um, that allows them to take this vision they have for their business in their head and make it actually become a real thing. So that's what I do. And I'm happy to be here. That's great. So, Brad, when you were growing up, did you say to yourself when when, when you were asked, uh, Brad, what do you want to be when you grow up? Did you say, so I want to be a, a scalability consultant? <laughs> well, no, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that wasn't a thing. But that's kind of the fun thing about entrepreneurship, right? You get to kind of create a career path of your own as you figure it out. I will say that it was pretty apparent early on in my childhood that I was very much oriented towards um, math and science, but also I had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit in me. I was running Frisbee tournaments and doing fundraisers and organizing canned food drives. And everyone kind of told me I'd be an entrepreneur one day, but I, I kind of brushed them off and said, I don't really know what that is. I'm going to go become an engineer instead. So that's what I did in college as I studied mechanical engineering. And I just kind of figured out by the end of college that, hey, all of those people in my childhood were actually right. <laughs> um, entrepreneurship really was for me, um, but the engineering part was still there. I was just more interested in engineering businesses uh, more than I was interested in engineering mechanical systems. That's fascinating. And, and you know, one of the things that's always interesting to me about you know, people you run into who are practicing all different kinds of lean is, you know, I think there is there's this idea that a lot of them come from an engineering background. And one of the things I've learned during this podcast is there's a lot of people doing lean adjacent work who haven't come from an engineering background. But a lot of times when I'm talking to people who have the engineering background, I hear that, you know, it's the engineering is great and I love it. And there's this whole other world that I'm also interested in. And um, so the work that you're doing allows you to, to bring all that together. So can you tell us what does scalability mean? Oh, good question to start off with. Um, and it's interesting because before this podcast, I kind of uh, put a call out on LinkedIn to see what questions people had on scalability. Uh 
And um, this was one of the things that popped up, popped up because I think a lot of people um, associate scalability with a very specific type of business. You know, these businesses where their charts look like hockey sticks, where they grow really rapidly, really large. Um, you know, they've got these aspirations for a world domination or whatever that is. And that's a very specific type of scalability, but that's not really what scalability is. Like at its core, very simply, scalability is just having the capacity to change the size or scale of your business, having the capacity to change the size. That's all that scalability is. There's, there's nothing in that definition that says it has to be big or small or fast or slow. It's just the capacity to change your size. Um, and, you know, when I work with clients on the topic of scalability, you know, the things that I'm really focused on are things like control, replicability, and consistency. The ability to give you as the business owner the control over changing the size of your business in a really predictable and consistent way. So if somebody sets out a goal, a leadership team sets out a goal and says, you know, we want to have 50% more revenue in two years, which is sure. a fabulous goal, right? That that has all kinds of implications for how the business is going to work and how do you, it's it's not just about making more things, if you're making things right. and selling more things, it's also going to be about possibly more people or more regions or, or more whatever. Yeah. And that word that you use, I think is really important. It's about change, right? It's all going to be change that the business has to have the ability to conduct, to adapt to. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when I work with clients, I've got, I've kind of got my own framework that I look at of, of four components that are really required for scalability. And those components are traction, profit, throughput, and innovation. And I'll just define them really quickly because I think it's super important because even in what you just said of this example of a business that wants to 2X or 5X or whatever, and how do we do it? it th that how really depends on each of those four things, right? So traction is simply, do you have a consistent way to acquire new customers, to sell and market you know, your goods and services? Profit is can you deliver your goods and services in a way that allow that leaves profit on the table that you can in, then reinvest into growing the company. Third is throughput, which really speaks to the capacity piece of like, does the business is it does it have the capacity to service additional volume um, without things starting to break or bottleneck? And then mm -hmm. the fourth thing is innovation, which is really about do you have a consistent process? for how you implement new ideas. Are you organized about it? Are you thoughtful about it? How can you introduce new products or services or new ideas that you have about improving the business that can help you achieve some of these goals? So when you have this kind of blanket goal of, you know, I want to 2X the business, you kind of have to see where you are to start, right? Do you, do you have those consistent proven methods to acquire customers and do so profitably? If you do, you could probably just invest some dollars into that same engine, that same process, and put money into acquiring new customers, and that's going to grow the business, right? But if, on the other hand, you're constrained in terms of your capacity to service that volume, your, your focus needs to be on another area. 
and then, you know, thirdly, you could be in a position where maybe you've maxed out your market or your capacity to do a certain thing. And the way to grow revenue is actually to start introducing new service lines or um, serve new customer segments or go into new markets. It really, you, you need to look at where the business is in each of those four components to understand where are we trying to focus on in order to achieve this goal of 2xing the business or scaling the business? Is that one of those areas that you find your clients are most surprised by or are most, most challenged to, to address? You know, that's a good question. I think, you know, that when people hear the word scalability, I think most people think of that third part of the equation, the, the throughput piece, which is, that's the part where you're starting to do more volume and you're trying mm-hmm. to figure out how does the company have the capacity to service it. And you can do that in a couple of different ways, which we can talk about. I think a lot of people assume that that's the place you look at if you want to scale. I think where the surprise comes in is in the recognition that the other components are kind of prerequisites to doing that, right? Like if you're not profitable, then you really shouldn't focus on increasing capacity. And I know that sounds really obvious, but I've been in companies and I've gone through experiences where we've invested in building capacity all the while we were losing money and not even knowing it because we didn't actually understand the profitability of each of our products and services. And that's, I think, to kind of answer your question more directly, I think the surprise comes in when... I really help my clients look at each of the service lines or product lines they sell as their own kind of mini businesses within the business. I think it's really tempted to look easy to look at how the business is doing overall from like a top line and bottom line standpoint, Mm -hmm. but that kind of hides what's happening in between. And each thing, each, each customer segment you serve, each service line that you have is really its own business model. And some of them, could be, you know, doing really well, really strong. You've kind of validated the model and are profitable, but there could be other things that you're doing that are um, less validated. And sometimes my clients aren't aware of that, right? And you're kind of taking the success of one and and trying to apply it to the other um, in terms of growth when really we need to do some other things first. So it sounds like what you're saying is, is that, it's important for for the owners, the the leadership team, to to first of all do you know just be realistic, right? Just just let's take a look and see if we can understand where we are today. Yeah. Um, and, and I think sometimes people, you know, in a in a small or newer or growing business, um, there's a lot of of um i don't know this sort of like mental hype or the the we're we're in a really cool business or what we're delivering is so cool that we that are, are so amazingly from a technology per point of view you know or whatever it is that that cold hard you know can we come just sit down can we just look at the books for this service line that might be a a little bit you know hard for people to do yeah might... you're you're describing what i what i'm um familiar with uh, called the, the the innovators bias, right? This bias uh, yeah. that, all, that all business owners have over their own thing, right? Like we're just naturally inclined to think that, you know, we're so cool. We're awesome. Like what we have is going to change the world or, or do all these amazing things. But um, 
you know, the, the, the truth lies in the data, the truth lies in the books, the truth lies in what's actually going on. So I think there's a really important piece of this that's about um, measuring and validating our ideas, because at the end of the day, a business model is really just a hypothesis. It's just a guess at what we think is going to happen until we prove that it's capable of happening. And I think it just, it really point out, points out to me, Brad, the value of having somebody external come in and help with that. Because the kind of person who is going to be excited and passionate about their product or their idea, um, that may not be where their energy is. They may not do a great job at it. So to bring somebody else in who is able to help them do that, I think is is a really terrific um, way to to work and to learn and not to imagine that, you know, just because, you know, you're the one who designed the rocket ship that you're also the one who, you know, needs to figure out or has the ability or the, um, the you know, mm-hmm. whatever it takes to to do the, the looking at the data piece or the business right. data piece. Right, right. And, you know, I think it, that that's like always a benefit, right? Like we're, we all have blind spots. And anytime you can get kind of an external perspective, particularly one that has expertise in, you know, what they're looking at, I think there's there's always value in that. But I but I also am reminded of the fact that, you know, most business owners that I speak to, they didn't start their business because they wanted to run a business. They started their business because Uh, they're passionate about their idea. They're really passionate about the people that they serve um, or, you know, the the, the service that they offer. Like that's where their passion lies and that's where their expertise lies. What their expertise doesn't always lie in is the actual like nuts and bolts and nitty gritty process of actually building and running a business, right? And um, a lot of my clients are really relieved when they can bring somebody else um, into the equation that has that kind of uh, skill set that, you know, may not be where either their skills lie or where their uh, passion or interest lie. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's really interesting to me to think about um, particularly companies that are going through a venture capital mm. um, uh, process because they they cut they don't really have a you know you talked about the the imag- the imaginary company that has the hockey stick growth yeah. right yeah. but you you also have these companies that get that kind of get these boluses of financing um, and when they get a bolus of financing, it's for a specific purpose. You know, they've told the investors it's for a specific purpose. And now all of a sudden they have to ramp up to meet that purpose with the financing. And so it seems to me in those those four areas that you talked about that they're um, sort of immediately creating both opportunity and problems that they have to solve Um in, in boluses rather than rather than doing it smoothly. Do you think there's how how would a company that that is being financed in that way how could they address uh, that type of scalability issue? You know that, that's that's interesting, Bella, um, because to scale a business requires investment. Right. Yeah. Investment isn't always capital, right? Like in, you can invest using 
sales, like profits, right? Uh -huh. You can invest your time and energy in sweat equity. Um, but in order to scale a business, it requires investment, right? And the thing that I always try to focus on with my clients is helping them take whatever resources they have, whether that's the profit that's in their bank account or the you know capital that they get from an outside investor, um, and find the places in their business that they can deploy that resource that will have the biggest return on investment, right? That's ultimately what's going to help um, a company scale, um, you know, more quickly and more um, smartly, intelligently, right? Is where can I put my, the resources that I have, which are finite, that's going to give the biggest return on investment to the business. And, you know, it really speaks to, you know, where in those four, you know, pillars of the framework they are. Um, sometimes if they've got a proven, um, what I call an engine of growth, meaning that the, the finances are structured in such a way that the profit that's left over after every sale can be reinvested back into customer acquisition, there should be a really clear return on investment there of I can just deploy this money back into sales and marketing because I've already proven the model and I know exactly you know what kind of return on investment that's going to give me. I always look when we're focusing on that profit pillar for at least a 3x return on what I call the growth engine score, which is just that ratio between profit uh -huh. and cost of customer acquisition. Um, but there's other places where we, we you know you do need to uh, deploy that that resource to to do infrastructure building, right? To build a team, to build um, new technology or other or equipment that allows you to build your capacity to service volume. Um, that that may be important depending on the stage of the business. So it's really just about finding the weakest link in the business. Where's that one place that's going to have the biggest bang for my buck? Because I think what the mistake a mistake that a lot of people could have is saying, I've got all these resources, now let's let's put them in all these different places. Let's let's try to improve our, our marketing strategy. Let's try to you know, build our infrastructure. Let's spend some extra money on R&D and, and, and innovation. And you know, that's what we call premature optimization, where we're trying to you know, uh, strengthen all the, the, the links in the chain, so to speak, when usually the best bang for your buck is is honing in on that one area of focus, that weakest link, that's going to give you the best return. Wow, wow, that's um, and then when you think about going back to your background in mechanical engineering, I mean that's, I mean it's very clear, right? I mean there's no point in you building a new factory to put the machine in if the machine's not working. Yeah, right? You've got a great, yeah, great example. <laughs> you you, you got to you got to fix that first. At what point in a in a business in business growth uh, are you finding that uh, the clients are reaching out to you? Oh, that's that's a good question. Um, in my case, right, because most of the time, the, the clients that are coming to me, you know, they have um, they they have some amount of traction, right? They 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 know their market, they know their customers' value their services, you know, have a problem that they that they want to solve. And they've um, been able to get as far as they can, kind of building that business more organically and ad hoc. And at some point, 
during that process, as the business grows up, things start getting more complex and you get to a level where what worked yesterday is no longer working today. And you kind of need to, to, to go through that process of putting some infrastructure in place so that all the things that you've proven you do really well, you can do at a higher volume, you can do in a more consistent way, you can do more efficiently. Um, so, you know, most of the time, uh, clients that are coming to me are looking to, to um, build their capacity to service more volume, are sometimes even overloaded with the capacity that's, that the volume that's coming their way, they can't uh -huh. service, things are falling behind, balls are being dropped, that kind of thing. Um, you know, sometimes we are looking at the that that profit leg to make sure that everything they're doing is profitable. I've, I've certainly worked with clients that come to me thinking, well, we need to build the capacity, things are falling behind. But lo and behold, that may be true for one of their business lines, but there's several others that are kind of sucking cash from the business and the focus actually needs to be there first. So, you know, most of the time that that's kind of the stage that my my clients are coming to me is we've gotten as far as we can on our own, but now we need to start building some infrastructure and we, we need some outside expertise um, to, to help us do that. You that tell us the name of your company. Uh, Be Lean. Be Lean. So, but you told me that people do not come to you because they say, Brad, we want to be lean. But what I'm hearing and what and what you're saying, there's so much that lean thinking can do to help you know to help somebody who wants to increase volume or reduce cost. Uh, I mean, that's that's what lean thinking can do for them. But they're not coming to you for that, right? They're coming they're coming to you for um, you know for for a, a growth problem for for, for a growing pain. Abs yeah, absolutely, right? They're coming to me because things are breaking. They're coming to me because they can't handle their volume. They're coming to me because the technology they use isn't working anymore. Um, they're coming to me because they've got no clue what's going on and they need more visibility and control. Um, no one comes to me asking for lean, right? But, um, <laughs> you know, that that's where, you know, we and, and maybe your your listeners can can relate as well because, you know, lean is kind of this esoteric thing. I think different people associate it with different things. Some people think lean is really about cost cutting and just kind of skimping by. Other people think of, you know, lean manufacturing and, and waste reduction. Other people, you know, I, my entry into the world of lean was through Eric Reese's book, The Lean Startup, which is mm -hmm. about, you know, using principles of, of experimentation and measurement to, you know, validate business ideas and, 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 what I've kind of found over the course of my career is, you know, those principles are really valuable in business, right? The principles of reducing waste, the principles of measurement and validation, the principles of continuous improvement. Um, I deploy all of those kind of strategies in my own business for myself and for my clients. And that's what gets results. But that's not necessarily what people are coming to me asking for. Yeah, nobody's coming and saying, well, I just I just want to be the, the leanest company in the world. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're, no. they're coming because they want to they want to build their business. That's uh, right. But uh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting kind of how how language can get in our way. So the the whole lean startup thing is so interesting to me, and my listeners know this, like the heart of all lean is experimentation, right? It's a scientific process. It's the idea when we look at say a company that we emulate, like say Toyota, let's talk about Toyota. We look at some of the things they do, the tools that they use. Every single one of those came about through experimentation, tons mm-hmm. of experimentation and a great process, which you talked about earlier for for capturing, receiving ideas and um, and developing um, ideas and bringing them forward all through experimentation. So, yeah. so it's, it's really, it's, it's fascinating to me that, you know, that that was, that's kind of your, your, your entry into this. So how do clients react though, when you say, I'm sure some clients are coming to you and saying, Brad, you know, I have got this really big problem. Tell me what to do. And, and you certainly have things that, you know, you, we need to look at this. We need to look at, we yeah. need, we need to look at the four pillars, all the rest of it. But at the end, it sounds to me like what you're going to say to them is, is whatever you're going to try, let's run it as an experiment and see what happens. Is that right? Yeah. You know, and, and I think the thing about experiments, right, is um, some experiments are riskier than others. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's for, 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 for the, the scientists in us, right. Like you and I, and, yeah. and your audience, I think we really love this scientific process. We love measurement and experimentation, but I think it's also important for us to step back and acknowledge that when, you know, a business comes to us or, or, you know, a, 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 a other department or whoever we're supporting in our organizations, Oftentimes, there's been a lot of work that's already been done and already Mm -hmm. been validated, right? So my job as a consultant is to figure out what's actually going on, to validate the things that are already working, right? And then to identify the places that aren't so that we can focus on um, improving those. And sometimes we've got some great supporting Uh, you know, like a track record that can give us a pretty clear idea of, well, if we just do this, then this is the result that we can expect that we can happen, right? Like a really um, simple example of, um, you know, efficiency. Let's just say we were dealing with um, a manufacturing facility and we wanted to invest in a new piece of equipment and the old piece of equipment had the ability to produce a hundred widgets a day and the new piece of equipment could produce a thousand widgets a day. Like there's a pretty clear, you know, calculation that goes into to, to that decision. Right. Um, but there's going to be other ideas that are more risky, right. Of we have a, we have a lot less certainty over what the result is going to be, but we still want to experiment because that's how we grow is innovation. So when we're dealing with those um, less certain ideas, and I think this is a really important point for people to distinguish when we want to make decisions about our business, some things we have the information to make that decision, other things are more risky. When we don't have that proven track record, um, I kind of have this rule that, that I use with my clients. It's called the 5X rule. And the 5X rule is when you have a risky and unproven idea, does it meet the threshold that the amount of resources that we're going to put into this developing this idea, whether it's buying the piece of equipment or doing the research and development to put the idea in, in place, does it have the potential, if the idea is ultimately deemed successful, 
to return five times or more of the of the amount that we outlaid in the beginning. And why that's important is because when we're kind of implementing ideas that are less certain, we're not going to succeed with everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you're up at the bat and you're a baseball player, the best pros have a batting average of like a third, right? Where they're only hitting one out of three of the balls that come past the plate. And us as business owners are no better than that, right? Like we have all these ideas that we want to do, but we're not really great at looking back and saying, well, how many of those ideas that we had actually worked? So what we want to make really certain of is that when an idea that we have does work, when the experiment is validated, that the return that that has on the business can cover and exceed all of the experiments that didn't work, right? Our wins need to cover our losers in order for the business to get ahead overall. So we need to make sure that there's um, that we're setting up our ideas to have enough of a return if they work to, to cover for that. And that's so when we're dealing with those types of experiments that are less certain, um, I think it's important to have a certain threshold or criteria uh, before we even decide whether we're willing to pursue it. Right. I think yeah, I, I think that you want to do the best experiment you can um as effectively as and efficiently as you can, right? I mean, that's uh, I think that's one of the ways that I've seen people go wrong with their experimentation. And I think it, I love that the five X rule sounds like a really terrific rule. Um, because you can actually end up spending more time and money on the experimentation and taking the risk. Um and not even necessarily even getting the answer that you were looking for. So yeah. you know, designing good, efficient, inexpensive experiments is way better than um, than you know just. Right. Well, I've got I've just got to learn, so I'm going to keep learning. But you also made a really good point earlier, which is that that you you should be building on a foundation of knowledge that's already there, right? You don't want to mm -hmm. relearn things that you already know. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and and I do think this is something that people sometimes get wrong when they when they look in the sort of in the lean community when they look at what scientists do, they sort of imagine it's sort of it's experimentation on experimentation. But you don't redo the experiments that have already been done. Like if you know the gravity works, <laughs> right. Right? <laughs> right? Right. We don't we don't have to keep doing experiments dropping things off tables. We I mean that's right. that work's been done and somebody wrote down the data and we could go look it up in a book or we can look it up on Google um, right. nowadays. So so that I mean there's so much well, we should be studying from a basis of knowledge and then moving forward from there. Right. But that five X rule—that's that's a—that's a, that's a really um, terrific um, way of articulating. Yeah, I mean, it, it came from a time that I was working in a in a company that was just had a really like energetic and innovative culture, right? I mean, this was. Um, the, the company that I that I was running before starting my consulting business and you know was filled with when I started I was in my 20s and and so were the co-owners and we were really young and excited and wanted to kind of set the world on fire so to speak or uh, it was a business in the energy efficiency industry and um you know having new ideas was never a, lacking new ideas was never a problem right what was a problem was constantly putting resources towards those new, new mm. ideas without um, actually 
going back and looking at how they worked without learning from those mistakes, without having good vetting criteria over how those experiments are going to be uh, greenlit and then how they're ultimately going to be run. And, you know, I got to this point where I actually decided I was going to go back and look at, you know, one or two years of all of the new strategies that we had, you know, kind of uh, rolled out over the, the the course of that time. And, and I actually went back and looked at how many of those were we still actually running today or, or uh, benefiting from, you know, the fruits of, of that labor. And what I learned was only one out of five new ideas actually worked. That's where the 5X rule came from, was that that recognition in my in my last company um, that, you know, we didn't really have a great batting average. So, you know, that's when we really kind of got serious about uh, setting a higher bar for our experiments. Um, and by the way, it doesn't necessarily mean that the experiments need to be um, riskier or have the potential for a large return, right? Like you could have a very simple experiment that has a small return, but also doesn't really require a lot of effort to run it, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, exactly. that can also yeah. meet the threshold, right? So there's all sorts of ways that you can be smart about making those decisions. Right, right. But, and I think what you're saying about, you know, in your case, it's one in five, you know, the average baseball player, well, a good baseball player is, you know, a 300 batting average by yeah. the time you get to the middle of the season. That's that's kind of great, actually. That's a, <laughs> that's a great batting average. In my pharma industry, which is pharmaceutical, um, our batting average for, for products in early development was way, way lower than that, you know, by an order of a, of a couple of hundred or sometimes even a thousand. Right. You know, that's, but that's return, how difficult that works. Right? The return but, is huge. That's exactly still, the point. That's yeah, exactly but, the point. The return needs to be equitable to the to the risk, right? If you're right. if you have a one in a hundred batting average, then the return on your investment has to have the potential for a hundred x or more, right? Like that's the point. Yeah, and the thing that that we were really working on with lean product development was to say when can we figure out the way that this particular idea it's time to start working on it so we can take those resources and put them into another idea and give yeah. give another idea it's, so how, it's yeah, how did you what was that criteria for you guys how did you make that decision well it was difficult because because it's biology right so bi biology is is uh infinitely harder than engineering because because it's biology yeah. um you know th things things are very changeable but what we what we really wanted to do was to identify well what were the critical questions with a particular um product that was in early development what are the things that we think that if you absolutely can't do this it's not worth developing it mm. you know it, maybe it would be it might have something to do with um and i know that people think this sounds awful but this is the way pharmaceutical business works maybe they weren't going to be enough patients right maybe right. the difference between this product and other products on the market wasn't in a, a big enough difference to make people switch from one product to another so to really identify early on I maybe mean, it was a safety issue but identify well, what are the critical questions and then do as soon as we could experiments to address those critical questions and then be really cold-hearted about saying well if you you know if you can't meet that particular criteria you know then we're going to take those investments and put them into another nice. project now the hard part of that is what you talked about earlier brad is the passion right so somebody gets on a team it's an exciting new product it could change the lives of people with a serious illness you become very passionate about it you care about it 
Um, and the next thing you know, somebody is coming to you and saying, um, try to figure out how to kill this product. (laughs) Well, I'm not necessarily going to be inclined to do that. And so the other piece that I think that I think is really important and, um, is, is that, is that you personally, as a person do this, you need to feel safe being making that decision right you need to know that your job is safe you need to know that there's going to be another project for you to work on you need to know that you're going to be rewarded as much as the person whose project made it and went on to the next stage right and those were things that were actually harder harder to to sort out in a in a big company in a smaller company perhaps you might have more control over that well i think that's where the benefit of you know having a a diverse team and having different perspectives involved in something is really beneficial, right? Because you, you need that passionate person. You need visionary. You need the person that's championing the idea to, to really kind of push the business forward, particularly when, you know, we, we, we've optimized and scaled, you know, all this stuff over here and the play and the area to, to, to continue scaling the business is innovation, right? You need that champion um, in order to, to, to push the, the the envelope, so to speak, because if you put the decision-making in charge of, you know, the, the accountants and the COOs and, you know, the, the, the ops people, you know, that might be a little bit uh, more risk averse, then they're not going to make those decisions. But having those people at the table to provide that counterbalance, that voice mm-hmm. of reason, that give and take with that the visionary role um, is, is what I have found time and time again makes for a really successful team, at, whether that's a, a team within a larger business or an executive team within a small business or even a singular COO with, with you know, advisors or, or consultants or other stakeholders that they take into account um, in order to kind of guide their leadership, um, yeah, that I've always found leads to the to the best results. Yeah, so and just being able to listen to other people and and I think what you know we're talking about earlier it's, it's in the context of the whole business, right? Yeah. If this is your only project, it feels really different from from this is one of many things that that we are doing to move forward innovation and mm-hmm. um, and so for the the context of the business making this particular decision even if it was my passion projects is going to be better for the business which in turn you know mm-hmm. is, it should be better for me yeah. as well yeah yeah wow what are you seeing now i think you know we in terms of business we there was this period of the, of the pandemic right where where things took a big u-turn people started People really changed how they were working. They were working from home. There were, you know, there were shutdowns and things like that. Um, and now businesses, um, you know, definitely some of them are definitely on on the upside. Hiring again. What are you seeing are the biggest challenges that your clients are facing right now? Oh, what a good question. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I'm honestly for me right now in my world. I'm busier than I've ever been, right? I mean, people have definitely come out of the the, the COVID slump. Business in, in, in the markets that I'm serving is doing quite well. And 
um, most of the clients that are coming to me are in that position of, I can't service the volume that we have. My team is burnt out. Um, I, I, I'm turning down business. And in my case, I'm not able to continue building my team because there's not a system in place for them to come in to operate, right? Like, oh, interesting. It, it, we, we talked a little earlier about the, the third pillar, which is throughput, which is how does the company mm-hmm. actually have or increase the capacity to service volume, right? I think one obvious way to increase capacity is increasing resources, hiring more people. But what happens when you can't hire more people because there's not a structure for them to come in and immediately do their job? They don't have the systems they need to do their job. They don't have the tools they need to do their job. They don't have the documentation or the the knowledge to do it. Um, a lot of my clients are are companies that um, there, there's a lot of institutional knowledge held in a lot of people's heads that's really hard to get out of brains and into infrastructure. Uh-huh. So hiring is not usually the first answer because they don't have the time and ability to plug somebody in and just have them immediately do more work. So that's that's where my role is kind of a, you know, a consultant to help build that infrastructure so that the hiring can continue or uh, look for those opportunities for efficiency, which is, you know, can we get more out, uh, output from the resources that we have um, by just making them, you know, making their jobs easier. Um, uh-huh. I do a yeah. lot of focus on efficiency so that, you know, we can actually get more with the, the w- without increasing overhead, without new hires. Um, so those people's time to do to do the new things that need to be done. Yeah. So that that tends to be most of the problems that um, are coming my way. And I think we see that um, when we when we hear about, you know, the people, you know, there's a lot of hiring going on. But then we're also hearing that people are putting resumes out and never getting responses. Yeah. And that to me, that just speaks to the fact that there is not a system in place. Right. Um, you, you know, even if you you can hire you could. Bring in a recruiter to do recruiting for you, but if the you, if your managers are so busy they can't even read the resumes, yeah, you know, you're, going, I think you're not going to move kind of, forward. In the large sense of things, and this just could be my view of the world because this is the world yeah. I live in, right? Is is I tend to do a lot of work with um, specialized firms, businesses that sell their expertise or are in you know niche industries. There's not a thousand other businesses out there that do just what they do. So the positions they're trying to hiring for are actually quite specialized or require expertise. There's not a talent pool that's just out there ready to come mm. in, with, you know, the, the knowledge to do the job. There's, there's a knowledge transfer that needs to take place. There's a training process that needs to take place. And the more that there can be consistency um, within the organization and infrastructure to allow them to do the job in that consistent way, the easier it is to then plug those resources in, um, you know, because it's not like we're just out there hiring, you know, uh, servers or, or you know, people that have um, certain skill sets that, um, you know, a lot of businesses uh go after that you could then you you could just plug in yeah Yeah, and we we just did a couple of shows on on knowledge management and the relationship of knowledge management to um uh to lean thinking and continuous improvement and Mm -hmm. and this 
it's it's so critical, right? I mean, we talked earlier about about you know, doing experiments and you learn from the experiments. You uh, talked about what you learned from actually looking at the results of some of the things that you had done. Um, but getting that knowledge into a place where it can be used by other people is really mm -hmm. difficult. And it's very difficult when people are, are just too busy to do it, even if they yeah. wanted to do it. It's, right, it's right. very difficult. It's a very interesting challenge to face. So, so Brad, tell us how people can find you. What's the best way to get hold of Brad? Oh, sure. I mean, you can definitely go to my website. Um, the address is beleanbusiness.com, B-E-L-E-A-N business.com. Um, at the top of the page, there's a link for a free assessment tool I have that uh, that helps any business see if their business has the infrastructure that they need to scale. If the business is ready to scale, it'll give you a score on each of those four categories that we talked about, traction, profit, cool. and innovation. So you can definitely find that. Um, and I also just enjoy, you know, meeting people one-on-one. -on -one. You can always find me on LinkedIn um, under Brad Eisenberg or my company Be Lean, and, and I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So you should be able to find me and reach out over there as well. All right. Thanks. So Brad Eisenberg, what is your one piece of advice for a young person studying out? Yeah. So my advice to somebody young starting out is to take risks. This is the time in your life when you can do those experiments, when you can make the risky decisions, when you can learn and try and fail and you know, you don't have, uh, uh, you know, kids to look after necessarily or a family obligations or, you know, some of these things that tend to, you know, make people further along in their career a little bit more risk averse. So I would really encourage people who are just starting out to, to go after things, to, to say yes more than you say no, to experiment, to learn, to take risks. Now's the time to do it. Great advice. Hey, thanks. Well, Brad Eisenberg, thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of lean. Thanks for having me, Bella. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Brad Eisenberg for being my guest on the edges of lean. What did you learn from this conversation? What ideas did it spark for you and for the people and businesses you work with? We would love to hear from you. Find Brad at HTTPS colon backslash backslash www.beleanbusiness.com that's beleanbusiness.com and there you can take the Be Lean Scalability Assessment or you can connect with Brad on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. Subscribe and tell a friend about the edges of lean and if you like this show give us a good rating. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelberg with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.